You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks very much for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. The homicide investigation team is releasing new photos related to the stabbing death of a West Vancouver doctor earlier this month. Two suspects caught on camera. And as Ramina Dea reports, police would love to learn more about what led up to the killing of Francis Este. Two unidentified males captured on CCTV footage, leaving the scene of the doctor's murder. Investigators are focused on identifying these two suspects, and we're asking for the public's assistance in doing so. 55-year-old Dr. Francis Este was stabbed multiple times in front of his elderly mother, say witnesses. Este murdered in the underground parkade of his West Vancouver beachside condo March 21st. At the time, we spoke to multiple residents, including Liam, who told us his mom called 911. She was in the lobby and this lady came kind of frantically running up from the parkade down below and was like, my son's been attacked, like, help me, help me. I saw this person lying there, uh, bleeding away. And um, a minute or second later, uh, there were three policemen. I just saw it. he had a T-shirt on and the blood was all over. The motive? Unknown. According to documents filed in BC Supreme Court, Este was involved in a real estate dispute. Millions of dollars on the line. Dr. Este is not known to police. Based on the evidence thus far, IHIT believes the murder was targeted. And it may be related to other events involving Este over the past few months. So when you talk about the um, targeted because of an incident involving other events, that has nothing to do with any real estate battle? I can't get into the specifics of what these previous events were, but what I can say is for those that are aware of these events, that know Dr. Esty, uh, then you will know what I'm referring to. Uh, again, if you do have that background with Dr. Esty, please contact IHIT directly. The doctor, well known in the community. IHIT continues to gather evidence and canvas several areas. But at this juncture, identifying these two suspects is crucial. Romina Dea, Global News. There was a sentencing hearing today for a man who was charged with four assaults in a one-month period, including one captured on surveillance video. Kristen Robinson reports. Shaquan Kelly now free in the community. The 28-year-old sentenced to one day in jail and three years probation with a year and 18 days credit for time already served. <laughs> Kelly pleaded guilty to four assaults over one month last year. On June 19th, he punched two security guards in the head at VGH. The next day, he attacked a woman on a Vancouver bus, spilling her coffee and knocking her to the floor. On July 6th, Kelly punched a man in the head on SkyTrain Three days later, while running from police, Crown says Kelly slammed into a mother and toddler in Chinatown. That assault charge stayed. On July 19th, he attacked a support worker at the Kettle Friendship Society. Crown was asking for up to 16 months in jail, minus time served, and a lengthy probation, noting Kelly has schizophrenia and also uses crystal meth. Quote, when he doesn't take his meds coupled with drugs, he is a real danger to society. Defense sought a time-served sentence with probation, citing Kelly's mental health struggles and guilty plea. Kelly lost his housing at Nora Hendricks Place in March 2022 
had stopped receiving his antipsychotic injections and was in psychosis at the time of the offences. Judge James Bayon finding mental illness with appropriate medical treatment does not require incarceration. Kelly's mother, Laverne, who's attended her son's appearances since his arrest last July, told the court Shaquan was not of sound mind at the time he committed these acts, and she's willing to support him in the community. Kelly apologized to his victims, telling the court he was very sorry for his actions and was not in his right mind at the time. Hi. I'm not sure who you're with. All good. Okay. Kelly's mother had no comment outside court, her supporters blocking our camera. Kelly must abide by several conditions, including attending doctor's appointments and taking all medications prescribed to him. He says he'll continue working hard to be a positive person and not a bad one. Kristen Robinson, Global News. There could soon be a battle between the provincial government and the city of Surrey over which police force ultimately takes over in the city. As Catherine Urquhart reports, that follows comments on Thursday by the province's Solicitor General, who says his decision is coming soon. A decision on Surrey's future police agency of jurisdiction is expected to be just days away. It will come from BC's Solicitor General, Mike Farnworth. And while nothing has been announced, Surrey's mayor is already suggesting possible legal action. Well, I hope it doesn't come to illegal action, that's for sure. But certainly, we will not back off. The citizens want to keep the RCMP as the police of jurisdiction in the city of Surrey, and we are not going to back off that. Those comments follow Farnworth's reaction to a troubling report into the RCMP's response to the Nova Scotia massacre in 2020. Farnworth said it will influence his decision on whether Surrey's police agency of jurisdiction will be the RCMP or the Surrey Police Service. I do know that this report will certainly, um, it will impact um, uh, policing, um, I think not just in Surrey, but communities right across this province. Uh, and indeed, when you read the recommendations, what I've been told, policing right across the country. The Mass Casualty Commission's final report highlighted significant systemic issues within Canada's national police force. It detailed the RCMP's failure in preventing, responding to and reacting to the tragedy, concluding the institution as a whole needs re-examining. It certainly is not specific to the Surrey RCMP. Uh, what goes on in another province is quite different than it is here in Surrey. And we know that uh, in terms of public safety, the Surrey uh, RCMP are the gold standard. Surrey Police Service and the RCMP declined to comment on the impending decision. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. BC municipalities are bracing themselves for what could be a huge hit to their budgets thanks to a recent RCMP contract negotiated by the federal government. Amaragahi reports on the increased RCMP costs that could ultimately show up on property tax bills. Sticker shock on the price of policing. This comes at a time that municipalities are struggling with their budgets. Many municipalities across the country rely on the RCMP to keep them safe. But they are now finding out that service 
will cost them much more than they had anticipated. We feel that the RCMP do a great job and the members deserve to raise, but we weren't anticipating what the size of that raise was going to be, partially because we were not at the table during the negotiations. The millions that municipalities big and small are on the hook for is for retroactive cost increases agreed to in the RCMP's latest collective agreement dating back to 2017. A bill the federal government is now not willing to pay. Certainly a huge disappointment that the federal government has chosen not to cover the retroactive costs. Where do municipalities come up with the money to pay these bills? Municipalities are not allowed to run deficits. Where do we get the money going back to 2017? In Surrey, the country's largest RCMP detachment, that bill is more than $30 million. We knew we had this bill coming. Surrey had been putting away money for that bill. This is no shock and awe to us. But what many other cities had put aside is nowhere near enough to cover it. One of the challenges is, as municipalities, we pay the majority of the policing costs in this province, but we weren't at the table negotiating those uh, costs. And so we were essentially just handed a bill and said, this is the bill, you're going to have to pay it. This comes at a time municipalities have already budgeted larger property tax increases than years before. And because they are not allowed to run deficits... They're going to be faced with some pretty hard decisions on cutting critical services or or passing the, the bill on to the taxpaying public. It's going to affect property taxes because that's primarily the only source of revenue that municipalities have. Imadagahi, Global News. The B.C. Ferry Commission has released its preliminary decision on a price cap on fares for the next four years. The commission is recommending a maximum annual price increase be capped at 9.2%. But Transportation Minister Rob Fleming says those calculations don't include the recent $500 million injection of cash from the provincial government. So Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this. A little confusion about how they're crunching the numbers here, Keith. Oh, yes. Confusion this morning when uh, Ferry Commissioner Eva, Huge, Eva Hage pardon me, released her report over the next four years. As you mentioned, Chris, the maximum suggested uh, a fare increase of 9.2% a year. Uh, that was literally the sticker shot that agreed to the B.C. government. So no sooner or very on the heels of that announcement came another statement from Transportation, Rob, Rob, Transportation Minister Rob Fleming pointing out that $500 million was not factored into this 9.2%. He tells me the maximum is going to be less than 3% a year. We caught up with the minister in Vancouver today. Ferries are important as a, a key part of our transportation system and we, we weren't going to just sit by idly and, and watch that happen. So we've made this positive investment. The commissioner has looked at the submission of the ferry company and we're going to hit a very affordable target and keep ferry increases as low as possible. All right, Keith, uh, one man who no longer has to deal with some of the confusion that comes with politics is John Horgan. It's officially mm -hmm. the end of his time in the B.C. legislature. Kind of came and went with a whisper, but the former premier officially resigning his seat today. Yeah, his resignation letter was delivered to Speaker Raj Shahan earlier this afternoon. So now the clock is ticking on the by-election. Under B.C.'s law, it's six months. Uh, Premier David Eby has six months to call that by-election and fill the vacancy out in that seat in Langford, Juan de Fuca. Uh, not sure exactly when. We haven't talked to the Premier about the timing. Uh, so we've got until October to fill the seat. I suspect to be some 
I'm guessing, and this is purely a guess, sometime in June would make sense uh, to me. Uh, in terms of who's replacing him, this is a very safe uh, NDP seat. Horgan won with 68% of the vote. You see the big ovation uh, given to him on his last day uh, in the House there. Uh, so in terms of the successor, look for Souk School Board Chair Ravi uh, Parmar uh, to probably get the nomination there. He was at uh, Mr. Horgan's fundraiser last night, his farewell fundraiser, sort of acting as the MC, widely expected to get the nomination. As I say, very safe NDP seat. So whenever David Eby does call that by-election, look for the NDP to keep it on their side. We'll be there to cover it. Okay, thanks very much, Keith. Have a great weekend. Tonight, the Canucks will wear their Pride warm-up jerseys before their game against the Calgary Flames. But according to the coach, it looks like Andre Kuzmenko won't be wearing it. Uh, everybody but Kuzi, I think. Yep. And that's just a choice family, and I'm not going to get into it because... We don't know, you know, the, the, the deals that happen over there. So, um, so I respect his decision. He's, of course, Russian. Now, Kuzmenko isn't the only NHL player to opt out of wearing the Pride jersey. And this year, three teams, Minnesota, New York, and Chicago, all canceled their Pride warm-ups. Canucks management so far hasn't commented on Kuzmenko's decision. Dramatic rescue off the wild west coast. Two sailors and their dog plucked from the frigid waters by rescuers. That's next on the News Hour. Big shout out to everyone in Vancouver that made this possible. BC gets ready for a movie boom. The Last of Us announces it's heading west after a successful first season filming in Alberta. Plus, we see this as a way to possibly prevent some of those incidents from happening. The right tools to prevent deaths. How Victoria's Carpenters Union is fighting the overdose crisis. That's coming up later. But right now, two men and a dog are safe and sound today, thankful that a search and rescue training flight happened to be nearby when they needed help. As Kylie Stanton reports, their boat capsized Thursday afternoon near Texada Island. And after drifting in the freezing water for almost an hour, they were in rough shape when rescuers found them. For anyone in trouble on the rugged west coast, this is the sound you want to hear. And for two very lucky boaters, it broke through in the right place at the right time. We got a call from uh, the Joint Rescue Coordination Centre in, uh, located in Victoria. They called a squadron and they had a case with a capsized vessel. The call came in around 3 o'clock Thursday afternoon, tasking the squadron to respond to Quarry Bay, east of Texada Island, where the two people on board, an 87-year-old man and his son, were reported to be hanging on to the overturned boat. The standby cormorant prepared to take off, but an already airborne helicopter on a training flight was within just five minutes of the vessel's location. So they redirected this uh, school helicopter, if you want, and to locate and to assist as required. So I think that student got a full meal deal as far as the SAR experience. Arriving on scene, the crew found the pair had let go of their boat out of sheer exhaustion and had been drifting for 45 minutes in the frigid Pacific Ocean until they happened to reach the shore. There's no way we could land and uh, I saw the older gentleman crawling on just with his two hands and the fact that he was severely uh, hypothermic uh, kind of forced our decision to uh, attempt the uh, basket rescue. With no time to waste, the basket was dropped 50 meters to the rocks below. 
The father was brought up first. And then sent the basket out again one more time to retrieve his son and the dog. Landing back at the base, it was all hands on deck. It was all about rewarming, removing them from their wet clothing and providing some rewarming and hypothermia wraps. By the time the two were transported to Comox Valley Hospital, they were in stable condition. As for the dog... One of our military police on call raised his hand and said that he was a dog person and he would take care of the dogs. And the dog actually joined back their owner this morning. It takes the idea of a rescue to a whole new level, even for a team that's used to going above and beyond. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Great work. All right, get ready to pay a bit more for a number of things starting tomorrow, April Fool's Day, and it's all thanks to new taxes. As Travis Prasad shows us, the arrow sign is pointing up on everything from gas to booze. The pain at the pump is about to get even worse. On April 1st, BC's carbon tax on gas will increase by just over three cents, bringing the total amount to 14.31 cents per litre. The theme is this is probably as good as it's going to get, and although we never thought we'd think 180 is being a cheap price. Gas analyst Dan McTagg expects prices to jump 15 cents by mid-April to 195 a litre, and that's just the start. All arrows are pointing towards upward pressure on prices, and I think consumers have to be braced for it. Uh, and the new reality is above $2 a litre, not below it here in Vancouver, with the highest taxes levied on fuel in North America. McTagg says higher taxes paired with higher global demand for fuel means there will be little to no relief at the gas station. And once you've paid more to gas up, you could be paying more to park your vehicle. At lots managed by the Vancouver Park Board, parking fees will rise anywhere from 6 to 10%. I mean, it's, it's frustrating to have any increase in prices. Also getting more expensive on April 1st, alcohol. The federal excise tax, which is tied to inflation, is going up. Industry is breathing a sigh of relief on this today, absolutely. Breathing easy because the tax on beer, wine, spirits and cannabis was set at 6.3%. But after industry pushback, the feds dropped it to 2%. While businesses pay the tax, the cost will inevitably be passed down to consumers. The good news is, though, that you know, while the price of a pint or a six-pack or a bottle of wine is probably going to go up a little bit this month, it's not going to go up as much because the federal government listened to industry, understood where we're at, still recovering from the pandemic. Also on April 1st, the feds will increase minimum wage by over a dollar to $16.65 an hour, calling it a response to the rising cost of living. Back at the pumps, the taxes are unavoidable, but there are still some cost-saving strategies. Retailers have control of about eight or nine cents on the liter of gasoline, not much more than that, but they often do offer, uh, you know, a five or six cent discount in the evenings and especially on the weekend. Travis Prasad, Global News. Up next, a big boost for Hollywood North. Jury's still out. Why the streaming hit The Last of Us is bringing its apocalyptic production to Vancouver. Also, it's about community safety. It's about the safety of, of the people on the street. Another B.C. city makes moves to ban the use of hard drugs in public. The challenges and why we could see more cities do the same. Still some leftover volume here tonight at the Alex Fraser Bridge after clearing an earlier crash northbound at mid-span. BCAA member, lucky you, BCAA members save three cents per liter off fuel at Shell. Conditions apply. Visit shell.ca slash BCAA. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge.
It's a blockbuster move in the movie business. Season two of the wildly popular HBO series The Last of Us is going to be filmed in B.C. And Jasmine Bala is live outside Vancouver City Hall tonight. Uh, Mayor Ken Sim made the announcement earlier today, took some credit for it, Jasmine. This is a huge production. Yes, it is, Chris. It's one of the most expensive productions in Canadian history. This could bring in millions of dollars into Vancouver's economy per episode and add hundreds of jobs. And we only need to look to Alberta to see what kind of impact this will have because the first season was filmed there. More than 900 crew members worked on the first season over 17 months. It featured 180 locations around Alberta and brought in tens of millions of dollars to the economy. Now, how did Vancouver land such a big production? The second season is based in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle. Mayor Ken Sim says he and the Vancouver Film Commissioner visited L.A. earlier this month to meet with production companies and ask questions about how the city could make it easier for show producers to film here. One of those meetings was with representatives from Sony Pictures Television and Warner Brothers Discovery. But the mayor says what Vancouver had to offer wasn't tax breaks, but other benefits like turning permits around faster and a direct line to the mayor's office. Sim says we can also look at other productions like The Flash to see how big of an impact The Last of Us will make. And the Flash, I think they shot 185 episodes and the impact was about $4 million per episode. So think about that. That one production was about three quarters of a billion dollars to the local economy, to jobs, um, you know, um, and restaurants and what have you. So the impact is significant. Jeff, I think it's $15 million an episode for The Last of Us. Mm -hmm. And if they shoot 10, that's $150 million. The Vancouver Film Commissioner says we could see preparation for the show as early as the summer or fall in production to begin next year. Chris. All right. Hope it all goes well. Thanks very much, Jasmine. The era of free contraception begins tomorrow in B.C. Who can access it and how you qualify coming up. And toxic drugs killing the trades and how they're trying to protect each other from here on. Still a bit of a lineup for southbound traffic here on Highway 99 through Richmond to the Massey Tunnel. Traffic is still backed up from Blundell on the approach. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. A union on Vancouver Island is the first to offer its workers naloxone kits and training on how to use it. The Carpenters Regional Council in Victoria says it's taking action after a number of reported overdoses in the industry. Richard Zussman has more on the pilot project. There isn't a construction worker in this province who hasn't experienced it firsthand. BC's toxic drug crisis. I've, you know, lost friends that I've grown up with, gone to school with and, and you know, entered the working world uh, with. That's why the Carpenters Regional Council in Victoria is now the first craft union in BC to offer naloxone kits and training free to its members. Illicit drug deaths are higher in construction than any other industry. Of those employed when they died, a staggering 55% worked in construction. Toxic drug-related deaths up 33% in the sector in the past five years. Initially, we, 
some recognition that that this sector or this industry has been hit the way it has been hit would be nice to see. The province has its take-home naloxone program, which has distributed more than 1.7 million kits. And the government says more than 150,000 overdoses have been prevented. But the construction industry says more can still be done. There's a chronic shortage of mental health um, uh, experts who counselors, psychologists, psychiatrists available to help people when they, uh, when they need that help. The Independent Contractors and Businesses Association provides a free wellness program to more than 10,000 workers every month. But their concern continues to be when a worker asks for help, the province has to be there to answer. The key is, is investing more to ensure that, that when, when people are reaching out for counseling services, psychologists, um, that those services are there. And, those, um, and when you call a number looking for help, you're not put on hold. When you work in the trades, there's heavy equipment. There's people that are working with their bodies who may have pain-related issues. They do need to make it a priority to make sure that individuals who are suffering have help when they need it. Within the first week of the pilot project, more than 10 kits have been handed out. A hope it can prevent adding the names of even more friends to a growing list of those dying from illicit drugs. Richard Zosman, Global News, Victoria. Another B.C. community is saying it's had enough with the crime and disorder associated with drug use. Penticton is set to ban open drug use in public spaces like parks and sidewalks. But as Paul Johnson reports, the move does come with some risks. When British Columbians think of public use of hard street drugs, they likely think of Vancouver's downtown east side. But in recent years, smaller cities have found they're struggling with the issue as well. City leaders in Penticton are now moving ahead to ban use of all drugs and alcohol in public spaces. The bylaw officers would have the power to and, and move these folks along, you know, say, hey, you know what, you know, what you're doing is now illegal. And uh, there are safe places. Uh, there are supervised consumption sites where you can go and do what you're doing, uh, but you're not allowed to do that in a public space. Mayor Julius Bloomfield says the move is in reaction to what they've heard from their citizens about crime and public disorder associated with street drug use. It also comes after B.C.'s controversial decriminalization of personal use amounts of heroin, fentanyl, crack and meth. B.C. liberal addiction critic Eleanor Sturko says she won't be surprised if other cities follow suit. She thinks the province could have done a better job working with municipalities to prepare for decrim. I've been hearing from municipalities across the province, including Penticton, that they feel absolutely frustrated. They feel that the government has not uh, put any measures in place to deal with street disorder, chaos, open drug use, and particularly with regard to decriminalization coming into uh, force. And Penticton is not alone. Campbell River is considered a similar bylaw, and Kelowna and Sycamus are both taking steps to ban drug use in parks. The Ministry of Mental Health and Addictions told Global News Friday they acknowledge cities have the authority to take measures like these, but they'd like to see a balance between public safety and public health and they discourage aggressive enforcement that would marginalize drug users or compel them to use alone. Penticton Mayor Bloomfield says they're taking all that into consideration 
And with strong support for the bylaw on council, he thinks it could become law in a matter of weeks. Paul Johnson, Global News. Free birth control. It's what the provincial government promised in its budget, and it kicks in tomorrow, April 1st. All residents with a valid medical services plan will qualify, no longer required to pay out of pocket for a number of prescribed contraceptives. Sarah McDonald has the details. Virtually anyone who uses birth control will tell you the process of actually accessing it is one of the most challenging and undesirable side effects along with the cost. There are a host of barriers that prevent people from accessing prescription contraception, and cost is only one of them. As of Saturday, that will start to change for many B.C. residents, when the province becomes the first in the country to make prescription contraception free or partially subsidized. There's a whole array of different types of birth control that are covered uh, under this uh, initiative. Over $100 million in funding rolled out over the next three years will cover the cost of prescription contraception, including hormonal birth control pills, intrauterine devices, or IUDs, contraceptive injections and implants, and Plan B, also known as the morning after pill. What is not covered are cervical caps, patches, vaginal rings, diaphragms, and condoms and sponges. Reproductive rights advocates call the framework a strong starting point with room for improvement. So there's a couple forms of contraception that aren't included, and our understanding is that those can be added on later once the program is sort of up and rolling. And so, yeah, if you're looking for the patch, you're not going to find it on the plan. Another long-standing roadblock in accessing birth control remains a barrier for many patients. You'll need a prescription to present to a local pharmacy. We have a number of different uh, clinics available across the province, sexual health clinics, where you can get those kinds of services. You don't need access to a family doctor. We know not everyone has a family doctor. If you can access a health care provider or a clinic to obtain one. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Coming up next, Zeller's gets ready for its comeback, where you can find the four stores set to start a new era in B.C. And later in sports, playing for pride, what's at stake for the Vancouver Canucks in their game against Calgary? They always say March comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb. I don't know how that applies to rain today, but certainly the sun disappeared. Oh, we got hit with that rain. I'm missing the sun already. And we've got winter storm warnings in spring, unfortunately. Yes, the Coquihalla as well as Kootenai Pass under these winter storm warnings, expecting up to 25 centimeters between tonight and tomorrow night. Uh, so, yeah, winter-like, very late season snowfall and all of our passes and highways are actually going to be seeing snow tonight. So, yeah, it's feeling more like winter, even though spring was yesterday, and we will flash back to that coming up here with our weather window. But as you can see, we are going to be seeing some breaks. We've got a drop in temperatures. So we're going to be seeing quite a significant drop with this Arctic air mass, and then we're also going to be seeing snow in higher elevations and in the Alpine, even the potential for seeing some wet flurries. That is in place. And Terrace is going to be 6 degrees, same for Smithers. We're seeing that mixed precipitation, Prince George. Snow, though, for Whitehorse, about 2 to 4 centimeters expected. As we move to southern BC, it's going to be windy through the Thompson Okanagan, hitting 11 degrees, though, in Kamloops. You can see there is that risk of showers there. The potential is there for some afternoon thunder showers for the Columbia Kootenai region. For the island, we're looking at 8 degrees, but hitting those double digits for Nanaimo and Victoria. You can see there's wet flurries uh, probable there in Port Alberni, especially through the early morning hours. 8 degrees around the lower mainland, a little bit cloudier out towards the valley, Maple Ridge, uh, hitting 9 degrees, but we could 
be seeing some of those breaks in the morning hours. So luckily, uh, we do have some sunshine in our day, but mostly cloudy with that risk of showers through Sunday. We're clouding over Monday, Tuesday, back to seasonal mix of sun and cloud. And then Wednesday, those clouds roll in and the next system arrives. Let's just flash back here to that beautiful stretch of spring-like sunny conditions we've been enjoying. Randy sent this photo in from sunset over Como Lake in Coquitlam. Thanks for sending that in. Tough to beat that and good to see the sunshine. At least a little bit of it coming. It's coming back, back on Monday. Coming back. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Steph. Zellers has unveiled when and where it'll be opening the first of its new stores here in B.C. Zellers shoppers will be welcomed back to four locations in our province Tuesday, all within established Hudson's Bay stores, downtown Vancouver, Guildford Town Centre in Surrey, Seven Oaks in Abbotsford and Aberdeen Mall in Kamloops. The company says it's focusing on quality, design and value with an array of products from kitchen and bath items to apparel. New Zeller stores will also be opening Tuesday in Manitoba, Nova Scotia, Saskatchewan and Quebec following earlier launches in Alberta and Ontario. All right, we'll bring Squire in now with a look ahead to what's coming up in sports. Squire? Well, Elias Pettersson is having his best month of the season in what is his best season as a Canuck? Yeah, I think so. Um, I feel like I'm involved a lot in both defensively and offensively. So. He's at 95 points right now. Last year he had 68 and 80 games, so his numbers are way up. They sure are. All right, thanks, Squire. Also tonight, satellite debris. Canucks, it's Pride Night tonight, and uh, they're playing for pride and maybe even playing to spoil. Well, your hometown team, <laughs> Calgary Flames, I know you've changed allegiances, of but uh, the Flames are the team that are visiting Vancouver this evening, and it's a team that's trying to catch a Winnipeg Jets club that is losing altitude quickly. Calgary is two points behind Winnipeg for the final playoff spot in the West, although we should say right now the Jets are leading Detroit 5-0 after two periods. So let's say Winnipeg will probably win that game. So this one's important to Calgary. It starts a five-game homestand for the Canucks, and this is the last five home games of the season. They'll finish up on the road. And I hope you all enjoyed Philip Hironik's four games with Vancouver because he is out the rest of this season with a shoulder injury. He had that before the Canucks acquired him from Detroit. That's why Jack Rathbone will play for the big club tonight. It's... Uh... He's, uh, we're not concerned about anything. It's, it's, there's a couple of weeks left. I'm not sure we're going to even play him the rest of the year. I want him to get his uh, shoulder stronger. Um, so we've we kind of made that decision. There's really no reason for him to come back. Um, you know, if this is a playoff game, he'd be, he'd be in the game. But it's not the playoff game. You know, all, listen, every game is important to us, obviously, but uh, not to the expense. Of, you know, uh, yeah. He's, he's going to have a long time to get his shoulder perfect. Now, there are a lot of reasons why the Canucks have suddenly become one of the hottest teams in the NHL in the month of March. But one of those reasons is because Elias Pettersson is one of the hottest players in the month of March. He has 19 points in 14 games. He has three power play goals. That's more than he had the entire season up until March the 1st. He's sitting at 95 points at the moment. 
having had a point in each of his last 13 games. He would love, of course, to get to the century mark, but he doesn't want to concentrate on that. I've learned uh, when growing up, if I think about points, uh, I tend to lose my game and not play as best, so I'm just thinking about playing good and then, then chances will come. He's been unbelievable all year. Uh, you know, never mind his, you know, we all know how talented he is, how much skill he has. Finds Pedersen, turns, Kuzmenko scores! What a pass by Elias Pedersen! A give and go with Andre Kuzmenko. He's put in a lot of work. He's taken a step as a leader in the room, uh, you know, in terms of being a pro uh, in the gym, you know, in the dressing room here. It's uh, it's awesome to see, and I'm really happy for him in the year he's had. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely the best hockey I think I've seen him play. And it's not just Tyler Myers and the other Canucks who feel that way. Elias Pettersson himself knows this is his best year yet. Yeah, I think so. Um, I feel like I'm involved a lot in both defensively and offensively. So, um, But yes, of course, it's easy to say no when I've scored 13 games or had a point 13 games in a row. Sends it back to Hughes. Here's Pedersen with room. Elias Pedersen shoots. He scores. Picked his spot and nailed it. So I think uh, points come when I play a good two-way game. And this is the newest Canuck, goalie Nikita Tolopolo, who uh, Vancouver signed as a free agent to a two-year contract. He's been playing, uh, he actually started playing for Dinamo Mints. These are the highlights you see from there. He also has played in Sweden the last couple of years. Led all goalies in his league and games played and wins this season. Fourth in save percentage, fourth in shutouts. He's got Jacob Markstrom-like size, six feet, six inches tall. No idea what his ETA for Vancouver is right now. The Whitecaps are home to Montreal tomorrow. Vancouver still hasn't won a game this season in league play, but the optimistic way to look at their situation is to say they're unbeaten in their last three because of draws. And quite frankly, even with some injuries that Vancouver is suffering with right now, Montreal as a team, the Whitecaps should be able to beat at home. Ryan Gauld, who left the last game a bit sore, did a full training session today. He'll be available tomorrow, although they may be cautious with him and use him as a sub game time is 7.30. Texas Open, that's Canada's Corey Connors, who's had a good first couple of rounds. Thanks to birdie putt here. He's three behind the leader, Patrick Rogers. Rogers is 11 under. Connors is eight under. Nick Taylor didn't finish the second round today. He has one hole to go. He's at four under par, which is 16. This is a nice shot earlier today on a par three, which would result in a birdie. Now, the shot of the day goes to Martin Laird, who was already out of this tournament. He knew he was going to miss the cut. He's plus eight. This is his last hole. Oh, wow. I know. What was the old PGA uh, advertisement? These guys are good. Yes, they are. They play a different game than normal golfers play. Uh, Raptors head coach Nick Nurse says he's not sure if he'll return to Toronto next season. After this year, Nurse says he wants some time to see where his head's at. He's been with Toronto for 10 years as an assistant and a head coach. Of course, he won a championship there. This, though, has been a tough season for the Raptors. However, they can still make the playoffs. There you go. All right, and we'll be right back with even more on Satellite Debris. Stay tuned. 
Resident fact checker Jordan Armstrong <laughs> is standing by with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan? Well, there's lots to check these days, Chris. The newly formed team set up to deal with repeat offenders in B.C. are almost set to begin work. We'll have details tonight. Plus, another example of why you should not believe everything you read on social media. Tonight, we will clear up the wild rumor that British Columbians can be fined $800 in Washington state for driving with an expired ICBC decal, but valid insurance. The full story at 11, but here's a hint. No need to rush down to the garage and peel off the old decal. Chris? All right. Glad we're setting that straight tonight. <laughs> Thanks very much, Jordan. All right, Squire's here, and we've got satellite debris teed up for the weekend. Go ahead, Squire. Yes, this first commercial, I actually thought, did I run that? And then I looked at my notes, and then I thought, are my notes wrong? Did I run that? Well, I'm just going to run it. And if I ran it before, I'm sorry. But if not, I'm sure you'll <laughs> like it. Here we go. Checking in? Yes. You remembered her favorite binky, right? Um, you forgot the binky? Uh, I forgot the binky. You forgot the binky. Tragic. Hashtag binky dad. OMG, guys, he forgot the binky. Hey, it's binky day. Hey, go away, go away. Oh, yeah. Our top story. A father has forgotten the binky, but he's capturing hearts. Le monde est tombé amoureux du papa binky. Reason 362, why I never had kids. <laughs> Very thankful those days are behind us. It's I'm that sure theme it's song. Yeah. yeah, it's used a lot. <laughs> the guy who wrote that has made a lot of money. Sure okay, is. so uh, this is from Uber Eats. Uh, I think the song you'll recognize if you're an old Bill Withers fan. Here we go. Mm.
if you don't make dinner yourself, you can practice your moves. <laughs> having some good times. All right, yeah. so the last two here, um, we did show these a few years ago, but I want to show them again from Mass Mutual. Here we go. Come on, Caleb, you got this. And if you don't, there are other options. Yeah. Good eye, good eye. Eyes are good for lots of things, like reading. Be the best, Caleb. Statistically impossible, Caleb. You'll get them next time. Or you won't. Probably won't. And it won't impact your future whatsoever. Talk to us about college planning today. Feel comfortable about tomorrow. Mass Mutual. So who's it going to be? Tom? Could be Danny. <clears throat> Guess it's all Maggie. Should we have another one? Talk to us about retirement today. Feel comfortable about tomorrow. Mass Mutual. Again, not having been a parent, I really don't know what to say about these kind of commercials. I'll leave it up to you two. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to them. There's a lot of truth there. Yeah, no doubt. Make some kids happy and tell us there's going to be baseball games tomorrow, Steph. <laughs> I don't know. It's not a full washout tomorrow. We are expecting a, a little bit of sunshine, just a little bit behind those clouds, expecting more showers, though, throughout the weekend. It's Monday. Things turn for the better, and our temperatures rebound back to seasonal, and then those clouds are back on Wednesday. So we've got a couple of nice days coming up. All right. Look forward to that. Thanks very much for filling in for Christy tonight. Squire, always good to have you aboard, and thanks for watching, everybody. Hope you have a great weekend, and we'll see you back here Monday.